We've been examining the statement that Paul made in 1 Corinthians verse 2 that said, When I came to you, I aimed to preach nothing but Christ in him crucified. And so we've been unpacking that statement, Christ in him crucified. What does that even mean? And to help us remember, we've put it in four headings, the four M's, to help us break that down and sort of grab, grab a hold of what he was even talking about. Um, and so we've been unpacking the four M's. Christ had a mission, he had a message, he had a ministry, and he had a motive. Those are the things we've been talking about. And so the first week we talked about Christ had a mission. It was righteousness, to remove our sinful nature and give us his righteous nature, all for the purpose of knowing him. The second week we talked about Jesus had a message and it was that God is... God is good. Yes, thank you. Sarah's been listening. God is good. Um, <laughs> we talked about how if you've seen... Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus um, reveals to us who the Father is. And then um, we talked about the ministry of Jesus, that it was twofold, that Jesus fulfilled the old covenant law as our substitute. And then he showed us what it looks like. He modelled the new covenant and the kingdom as our example. And we talked about as he is, so are we in this world. And we're filled with his spirit and we can walk as Jesus walked. And so today, we're going to just talk about the fourth M, which is the motive of Jesus in coming. Um, and I actually um, feel to tie that in today um, with a bit of an invitation that the Lord is giving all across the earth. It's not just here, it's not just in Australia, it's all across the earth. For those that will have ears to hear, there's an invitation. So I'm not going to get too teachy on you today, but I want to share some stories and I want to provoke you to hunger and thirst for the Lord. Okay? Is that okay? All right. Um, but I will just, there's one scripture I feel that perfectly sums up the motive of Jesus. And it's Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us um, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says in verse 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had one thing in mind while he was going through the torture of the cross, and it was you. It was you. That's all he was thinking about. When he was going through the torture of his body being ripped apart, ripped to shreds, going through the worst torture that any human being has ever gone through, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about being joined to you, knowing you. There not being a veil, in, there not being any separation anymore. That's what he was thinking about. 
the end of a mediated relationship between God and man. That's what he was thinking about. The Passion Translation says it like this. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus who, is, who has birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. The veil's been torn. And when you choose to say, I believe in you, Jesus, and I receive you as my Lord and Saviour, in that very moment, boom, there's a great exchange. And he takes your sinful nature and he gives you his righteous nature and he fills you with his spirit. And all of that is for the purpose of knowing him. It's for intimacy with God. And John 17 verse 3, it's a bit of a verse that we say a lot. It's, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So eternal life starts now. It's knowing him. Yeah? Song of Songs, 6 verse 5, actually says the father is speaking to to us his bride and it says turn your eyes away from me for they overwhelm me did you know that you can overwhelm the god who created the universe when you turn your eyes towards him how extraordinary is that if we turn our eyes towards him we can overwhelm the heart of god And right now, in this time, God is issuing a divine invitation. He wants to pour out his spirit like we've never seen. And he wants to sweep through our nation and the world with his furious love. And for those who have ears to hear, he is nudging people to turn aside and seek his face. That's the invitation, to turn aside and seek his face. And we're going to go to Exodus 3. If you've got your Bible, go there. We'll go read this. Say, I love my Bible. I love my Bible. (laughs) All right, Exodus 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses saw a supernatural thing in the wilderness that day, a bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And Moses noticed it and he made a choice to be like, wow, that's weird. I'm actually going to turn aside and give it my attention. Do you know that all too often in our instant lives, in our busy society, we like will notice God doing something and then we'll be like, oh, that's cool. And then we just get on with our life. Has anyone ever done that? I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes. Imagine if Moses simply went, oh, it's not burning up. That's pretty odd. Don't really know about that. And then went on with his sheep tending and went home that night and walked into his family and be like, hey guys, I saw something pretty cool today. There was this bush and it was burning, but it didn't actually burn. It might have been God, I'm not really sure, and just got on with his life. Whoa. (sighs) He would have missed the call of God. I wonder how much we're missing. God's always speaking and he's always working. (laughs) Let's read verse 3 and 4 again. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. The simple act of turning aside by Moses resulted in the Lord calling out to him and commissioning him and it changed the destiny of a whole nation. What the heck? Because he turned aside. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, he called out to him and said, Moses, Moses. Do you know that the Lord will take our little acts of obedience to his leadings and invitations and do more than we could ever ask or imagine with them? One little act of obedience, one little act of, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I've got a feeling about this and I'm going to turn aside. It will impact nations. It will impact this city, you turning aside to seek him. Yeah? Are you awake? The other night I was cooking dinner and my brain was focused on dinner and nothing else and it was chicken schnitzel night. And yes, I make chicken schnitzels from scratch. So there's a process and we were already running late because there was a um, sport drop-off. So I dropped Desire off to whatever he plays on Tuesday, Thursday, something. Dropped him off somewhere. Um, <laughs> and then we're home and we're behind the eight ball because it's already 5.30 and we are a six o'clock dinner is on the table, we are eating type of family. 
All right, so I've got all the stuff there, and you know what schnitzels are like. It's like cut the chicken, bash the chicken out, put it, then you've got your flour and your egg and your breadcrumbs, which you've made from scratch, and then you fry them up, right? It's the process. So I'm in the middle of this process, and God enters the kitchen. I feel the Lord all over me, and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> and I stopped, obviously, doing what I was doing. And as I stopped and waited for what he wanted to do, what he wanted to say, um, I felt that the, he, he was like, there was a scripture that he wanted to speak to me about. And because I've been hearing him say for a long time, you need to turn aside, you need to seek me, you need to like, when, when I give the tug, you need to follow. Um, I was like, okay, I have to go into my room and close the door and hear what the Lord has to say. So I left my schnitzels and I go into my room and I close the door. And the Lord just had a lot to say. He had a lot to say about a situation that I had been dealing with and had no answer, no resolve, nothing. But the Lord had a scripture for me and he had promises to declare over me. Um, And I would have missed it if I didn't turn aside. And I knew very well, it was like, I'm going to have crazy kids here. But the Lord wanted to speak to me in that moment. And since then, there's been a shift in the exact situation that he spoke to me about. Praise God. <sighs> and when he, when he had done speaking to me and ministering to me out of the scripture that he gave me, he was like, Naomi, will you write down everything I've said? And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. So I wrote it all down. I could have wrote it down later, but... He asked me to write it down then. I forget stuff really easily. So I wrote it down. And then I was able to just be like, you know what? We're late anyway. Thank you, Father. You're so good. Just worship him Um, (laughs) and have a really nice time with him. Anyway, we we got dinner in the end. No one died of hunger. Um, And I got the pleasure of being fathered by the Lord and hearing the promises of God, hearing him speak to a situation in my life and see it shift all in a few days. The power of turning aside. I've been reading the book Defining Moments by Bill Johnson and it's a compilation of the personal stories of many of the revivalists of times past. People like Smith Wigglesworth, Maria Woodsworth Edda, Charles Finney, Catherine Kuhlman, and many others. It's like, it's an awesome book to, to read, to inspire you. Um, and it's been so inspiring to read of these very normal people who would not settle for an ordinary Christian experience, but hungered and thirsted for the more of God. Every single one, the common thread 
is a hunger for God and a willingness to turn aside. Can I read you a few snippets? One of these stories is of Dwight Moody, and he was a revivalist in the 1800s. And he actually had two women praying in his congregation that he would receive power from on high. The power of prayer, people. Um, it says, not long after, so not long after he'd, these women had said, we're praying for you that you will receive power from on high. Not long after, one day on his way to England, he was walking up Wall Street in New York. And in the midst of the bustle and hurry of that city, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street and he had to hurry off to the house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours and the Holy Ghost came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from very joy. And he went out from that place with the power of the Holy Ghost upon him. And when he got to London, partly through the prayers of a bedridden saint in Mr. Lessie's church, the power of God wrought through him mightily in North London and hundreds were added to the churches. Moody recognised the profound impact of his encounter that day. Well, one day in New York City, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to me. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went on preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you would give me all of Glasgow. Wow. So he felt the Holy Spirit come upon him as he's walking down a New York street. And he goes to a friend's house and knocks on the door. Imagine that. Imagine the awkwardness of that. Hey, Sarah, here I am. And you're like, wow, Naomi, do you want to come in? I'm like, can I just have a room? I'm just going to lock myself away in a room. <laughs> Talk about responding to an invitation of God. What will your response be when you feel that little tug from him to turn aside? Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, it says, We know this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The great promise of the word is, that if you seek him, you will find him. It doesn't say that maybe you'll find him. Maybe if you've been good enough or say the right things, it's a posture of your heart. If you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Can I read you another little story? Do we have time? Yes. 
Um, this one is of Amy Semple McPherson. And her hunger ex- inspires me and provokes me. I'll just read like a little um, account of her born-again experience. It just says, Amy's born-again experience stirred up a new hunger within her. She was obsessed with this thing that Robert Semple had called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She had to have it. Her mind was consumed with being fully possessed by the Holy Spirit. Of all the promises in which I found comfort, there was none, I believe, that compared with the simple promises of Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Man, imagine if we just believed the word. Imagine what might happen if we actually believe what the Bible says is true. I would get about so far with my reading and oh, the Bible seems so new, so living and speaking. And it was God speaking to me that unable to wait another moment, I would excuse myself from the room, go down to the basement, fall on my knees and begin to pray. Oh Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, you said the promise was unto as many as were afar off, even as many as to the Lord our God shall call. Now, Lord, you've called me. The promise is unto me. Fill me just now. The girls found me thus praying and didn't know what to make of me. So utterly I was changed. No more putting glue in the teacher's chair or helping to lock him in the gymnasium or practicing dance steps in the corridors at noon hour. A wonderful change had taken place. All old things had passed away and all things had become new. I had been born again and was a new creature in Christ Jesus. Each day the hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit became stronger and stronger, more and more intense until no longer contented to stay in school, my mind no longer on my studies, I would slip away to the tarrying meetings where the dear saints meant to pray for those who were seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll fill you in a little bit. We'll fast forward. She had to catch a train to school every day. So she lived out wherever. She had to catch a train to school um, and um, near the school was a Pentecostal mission and her parents had started freaking out about her like passion for the Lord and they're like you need to stay away from the Pentecostal mission not allowed to go there and so but she was just thirsting and hungering for the Holy Spirit she wanted him and so she on the train one day she noticed it was like um, snowing and she was on the train and she's like God I'm so hungry for you you either need to make a way for me to go to this Pentecostal mission and wait for you or you need to baptise me now on this train. And the snow turned into a blizzard. So she got to school that day but there was a blizzard just all of a sudden out of nowhere. And... um, the trains stopped running and the phone lines were down. So she couldn't, she couldn't go home. She couldn't contact her parents. So she was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to the mission. All right. Then we'll pick up the story. Time was precious for while man was working so hard to shovel out the snow and God had his big clouds all working to shovel it in, 
I must do my part in seeking with all my heart. Friday, I waited before the Lord until midnight. Saturday morning, rising at the break of day before anyone was astir in the house and going into the parlour, I kneeled down by the big Morris chair in the corner with a real determination in my heart. Now Jesus was my friend. He had bidden me knock and assured me that he would open unto me. He had invited me to ask, promising that I should receive and that the empty he would not turn away hungry. I began to seek in desperate earnest and remember saying, O Lord, I am so hungry for your Holy Spirit. You have told me that in the day when I seek with my whole heart, you will be found of me. Now, Lord, I'm going to stay right here until you pour out upon me the promise of the Holy Spirit for whom you have commanded me to tarry. If I die of starvation, I'm so hungry for him, I can't wait another day. I will not eat another meal until you baptize me. After praying this earnestly, storming heaven as it were with my pleadings for the Holy Spirit, a quietness seemed to steal over me, the holy presence of the Lord to envelop me. The voice of the Lord spoke tenderly, Now, child, cease your strivings and your begging. Just begin to praise me, and in simple childlike faith receive ye the Holy Ghost. Oh, it was not hard to praise him. He had become so near and so inexpressibly dear to my heart. Hallelujah. Without effort on my part, I began to say, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus. Each time that I said glory to Jesus, it seemed to come from a deeper place of my being than the last. And in a deeper voice until great waves of glory to Jesus were rolling from my toes up. Such adoration and praise I had never known possible. All at once my hands and arms began to shake, gently at first, then violently, until my whole body was shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. I did not consider this at all strange, as I knew how the batteries we experimented with the laboratory in the laboratory at the college hummed and shook and trembled under the power of electricity. And there was a third person of the Trinity coming into my body in all his fullness, making me his dwelling, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Was it any wonder that this poor human frame of, frame of mine shall quake beneath the mighty moving of his power? And then it goes on and on to explain, like, what happened after that. There's, like, it was awesome. <sighs> the Lord is seeking the earth for those that will hunger for him, not for his hand, but will seek his face because he's so very worthy. Philippians 3, verse 7. It says, whatever gain I had, this is Paul, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him. Seriously, what else is there to do with my life? 
I feel like I'm ruined. I've seen too much of him. I've encountered too much of him and I'm ruined for anything else. I know that I know that I know that I know that God is real. You can't change my mind. I have no choice other than to follow him. There's no other response. And I don't like have to muster that up. It's not something that I have to be like, oh, today I've got to follow Jesus. Today I've got to like read my Bible. It's not something that I have to like dig out. It's like my life is surrendered to him and I know that he loves me. And as a response to that love, I follow him and I'm like, I will go where you go. And I find myself in this position that I've received salvation and the joining of his spirit to mine and I've received a new heart and he's taken my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh, a heart to know him. And I've put on the new man and as he is, so am I. And I have access to intimacy with God and walking with him and it's beautiful but I hunger and I thirst for more. I know there's more. I know there's a greater measure of him that I can have. And I don't want to rest satisfied with an experience that is any less than what Jesus paid for me to have. And so I hunger and thirst for him. And the more I taste of him, the more I want. And the more I see, the more I want to see. And it's not a striving thing. It's his spirit within me and it's his deep calling out to the deep things of God. And what else is there to do? I can't go back. Go back to what? What do we go back to? A life in the dark. A life of not knowing who I am. A life being ruled by lies. A life of being ruled by circumstances of life. Yuck. My only choice is to hunger and thirst after him and say yes to every invitation. Hmm. Hmm. Proverbs 18 verse... I was just deciding, do we go down this path? Proverbs 18 verse 9. I want to challenge us as a church. Proverbs 18 verse 9, it says, He who is thoughtful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. (laughs) He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Bill Johnson recently preached a message and it was called Jumpstart Your Faith. And in it, he referenced this proverb, this proverb and he, he just made the point, there's three types of people. There are people that are burning for Jesus, regardless of the situation or the season of life. Then there's people who are slothful and complacent. They love God, but they're slothful and complacent. And then there's people who oppose the work or there's opposition to the gospel. And he actually made the point that complacency 
Complacency legitimizes opposition to the gospel. I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be complacent. I want to be the one burning for Jesus, regardless of my season, not being complacent. And Bill encourages encourage people in that message to isolate, sorry, not isolate, no, take that back. Bill encouraged people to insulate themselves from complacency in this hour, in this season. He's like, if you pray for 20 minutes a day, pray for 40. If you're in the Word, if you, pray, if you read one chapter a day, read two. He's like, I, um, get it right, Naomi. Insulate yourself from complacency. Seek Him. There's a grace to seek Him right now. There's a grace to pray. There's a grace to be in His presence. There's a grace. And it's not a striving thing. It's a recognition of the season we are in and responding to an invitation of the Lord to hunger and thirst for more of him, to turn aside. You have an invitation. Psalm 5 verse 3, we'll finish here. In the Passion it says, At each and every sunrise you will hear my voice as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. What does it look like? Every day you lay your life down, you present the pieces of your life to the Lord on the altar as a sacrifice and you're like, here's my marriage, God, and here are my children and here's my work and here's my relationships, my friendships, the things that I hold dear. Here's my Netflix, here's my Facebook time, here's like the stuff in my life. I'm going to lay it on the altar and then I'm going to wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. I'm not going to leave until I get it because I don't want to live without your fire and I don't want to pick up things that aren't mine to pick up in this season because I, I just want to hunger and thirst after you. The Spirit of the Lord is searching the earth for those he can pour himself out on. Will you turn aside? Will you put down the things that have no benefit to you? Will you lay down your life so his fire can fall upon you? Fire falls on sacrifice. Your life's not your own. You're bought with a price. I've got to end this now. (laughs) How about we just pray? If you need to respond to the Lord, this space is open. I, I don't actually feel to like lay hands on people. I just feel like if you want, if you want the Lord, you seek him. Yeah? All right.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, God, we love you. God, let us not settle. We don't want to settle for just coming to church on a Sunday and giving you lip service and then filling our lives with everything that's not you. We don't want to live that way, Father. We want to hunger and thirst for your spirit. We want to turn aside and seek your face, Father. And I pray that this week, today, and every day onward, you would put a fire in every single person's heart and a strong desire to know you, Father, to turn aside, to receive the baptism of your spirit, of fire. Lord, we want more of you. We want more of you. Help us, Lord, to be attentive, Lord, to the little nudges and the little things that you say. Help us to hear, Lord. Help us to see the burning bushes. Help us not to pass those by, Jesus. We want you, Father.